I want to speak privately to those of you who have gathered here this morning knowing that my conversation won't go any farther than this or further than this, whichever. And uh, to those who are tuning in, um, I am sans tie this morning. I'm without a tie. And I'm not here to make a fashion statement to any of the speakers who've been wearing ties, but I have a problem with colors. And I brought probably a dozen ties with me from home. And this morning, I didn't know which one best went with my sports jacket and my pants. Now, that's the problem when your wife's not with you. And uh, because she usually is the one who arranges my wardrobe for me, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes at the end of the day, if I haven't, you know, when she used to work uh, and leave about 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the mornings, and then I would see her in the evening, and she would say to me, you didn't wear that today, did you? So uh, anyway, uh, again, it's not a fashion statement. It's just that I didn't know what went with this particular sports jacket I have on. Um, it's good to see you again this morning. Thank you for coming. Hope that there'll be a blessing. I'm going to speak to you from my heart today, and I hope I did that yesterday, but I want to share some things with you which I think are vitally important. So um, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, your mercies, we're told, are new every day. And Lord, I hate to think where I would be, where we would be without those mercies. Those mercies can inspire. That's what they're designed to do. And so as we share today, not only moi, but others who will stand here and share, may your spirit utilize us to your glory. And uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know how many of you have your schedule with you. Anybody here bring your schedule with you? Okay. I want you to open it up to the very first page. I want to draw your attention to something that I think is, who, do, do you, do, is the person here who, who put this together? Anybody want to lay or accept blame or compliment for putting this together? these first two pages, just inside. Because I would like to read what is said here. And uh, on the left, which is this page right here, I want to read what is quoted from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, saith the Lord. Who's speaking here? The Lord, God. I will put my, what? Law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, 
and I will remember their sin no more. Glory, hallelujah. Wow, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. Now, go across the page and it says there, welcome to the annual 1888 Message Study National Conference 2020. And I'm going to read the first sentence. In 1888, the Lord sent a what? Most precious message. Now, what motivated, what motivated God in 1888 to send a most precious message? What motivated him? What's the earlier in that sentence, I think? God in his great mercy. What kind? Great mercy. So God in his mercy sent a message to the leadership of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. What did that precious message, again now remember, why did God, why did God send the message? Because of his what? Great mercy. And so that message, if it was sent by a God of great mercy, it is, goes without saying that that had to be a merciful message. Because if you're a merciful person, you're going to be sending merciful messages. Now notice what it says, that invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That has, that has warmed my heart like no other message in my history. And do you know what? I am no spring chicken. Which, but it doesn't end there, the statement continues, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Now, I said yesterday as I began that my three messages this week are all predicated upon the statement that Ellen White has made that the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a what? Loving and lovable Christian. And here we have from this lady who I consider, and who am I? I'm no great theologian. But I consider Ellen White the greatest theologian since the Apostle Paul. Now that, now that doesn't diminish the fact that she was inspired with the gift of prophecy. But boy, oh boy, I'm just finishing off the book uh, Christ Object Lessons. And that book has just been so magnificent. I am in awe of how she wrote and what she knew. By the way, I believe that Ellen White was given to the Seventh-day Adventist Church to humble us. And it's interesting. She didn't have a PhD. Didn't have a seminary degree. Didn't have a college degree. Didn't have a high school diploma. In fact, when I got through the eighth grade, they gave me a diploma 
saying I had graduated from the eighth grade. She did not even possess that. But oh, how God used her mightily. So, I want today to speak further on being a loving and lovable person. You can't, no matter how much you try, you can't be a loving and lovable person. It is only God and the message of Christ our righteousness that can make you that kind of individual. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever, have you ever been asked, who is the one person that you would like to meet more than anybody else? You ever been asked that question? Nobody's shaking their head, yes or no. I, I think you probably at some point have been asked that question. If you had a chance, now, of course, you would say Jesus as a Christian. You might say somebody like Abraham or Moses or Paul or whatever. By the way, one of the top individuals I'd put on my list is Ruth. But in our modern times, if there's somebody alive today that you would like to meet more than anyone else, who would it be? Well, I'm, I'm really not great at hearing, so if you yelled it out, you'd have to yell real loudly for me to hear it. But the person of all the individuals I know today, and by the way, if over the last decade you lived in New England, and if you're not living in New England, I would want to ask you, why aren't you living there? But if you were to ask that question to people living in New England over the last decade, do you know what their answer would be? A guy named Tom, known as Tom Brady. He probably would be head of the list. And by the way, I digress. I digress because Tom Brady. I remember well that after Tom Brady won his second Super Bowl, he said in an interview, there's more to life than winning Super Bowls. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to him. He's won a few more since then. I've forgotten his name because he relocated not long ago, so I've even forgotten his name. But the fact is, I pray for Tom Brady once in a while, that God will help him to know that indeed there is something more important than winning Super Bowls in life and that is God himself. So, who would I like to meet more than anyone else? And I'm saying this because you may know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows this person. And you can be a liaison to help me meet him. His name is Brian Stevenson. Last fall, I made it a point after I left Battle Creek, Michigan, to go to Montgomery, Alabama. 
so that I could visit a museum that has to do with the history of lynchings in America. That museum was primarily created by Byron Stevenson and uh, I had to see it. It was painful, 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 painful. But you know what? Pain isn't always bad. Do you realize that? And any doctor would tell you pain sometimes is good because it tells you you've got something hurting that you may not know otherwise. Brian Stevenson wrote a book that was a bestseller. Some of you may know. Anybody here read it? Those of you at home who are watching, not one individual raised his or her hand. I want you to know that. I'm kidding, of course, in that respect. But if you haven't read it, you need to read it. You need to read it. It's called Just Mercy. Just Mercy. Now, that's an unusual title, Just Mercy. We think you know, that could be interpreted a number of different ways. But uh, just is partly justice. And we know what mercy is, I believe. Just mercy. So, Byron Stevenson is a graduate of Harvard Law. And when you're a graduate of Harvard Law, you can go any place you want to and get any job you want to in the law area. So what did he do? He went down to Montgomery, Alabama, and there started a, a uh, organization that had to do with working to free black men especially who had been unjustly put in prison, some of them for life, and he's had a very great success. I was fascinated when he spoke at commencement to law school at Harvard, or Harvard, as our friends in Boston say, Harvard, that he finished off his little commencement address with two words, God bless. You know, saying God bless on a Harvard campus is not always welcome. But suppose, I, I would imagine he's a Christian, but if you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows Brian Stevenson, do me a favor and help me to meet him. Because I believe that Brian Stevenson is one of the great Americans of our generation. Today, I'm going to share with you some things that maybe you hadn't thought of before, but it has to do here with the purpose of that great message of mercy that God sent to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And who did he send it to in 1888 at Minneapolis, Minnesota? Was it the person in the back pew someplace, you know, wherever they uh, sit in the back pew at a church on Sabbath morning? No, he sent that message to the leadership of the church. Why would he send that message? Because it would be that the leadership of the church and every other person in the church apparently needed to understand to a greater extent God's mercy. Because God is in business to make us more than anything else merciful people. 
And so he sent a most precious message designed to make Seventh-day Adventists loving and lovable people. So if I were to ask you, if you were the devil and you were in a war, you were in a war, where would you spend a good portion of your time attacking your opponent? I don't know if you've ever thought of that before, but uh, Satan's at war and we're told, aren't we, in book of Revelation chapter 12 verse 17, he's especially at war with those who are the remnant. So where would that be? Where would that be? I'm going to suggest to you two geographical locations. You know, in my seminary days, uh, one of my professors, um, Karsten Johnson, who I made reference to yesterday, said, you know, it's interesting that in Seventh-day Adventism, there are two areas who would be having have had and continue to have the most influence in the entire world denomination. One is Andrews University, and would you care to guess what the other one would be? Loma Linda University. I am thrilled, I am thrilled that in this message, as it's presented every year, that some of the leading persons who speak are graduates of Loma Linda Medical School. And he would say to the students, it's, it's yet to be seen whether Andrews University with seminary or Loma Linda University with its doctors um, will have the most influence in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Maybe graduates of, of Loma Linda and the graduates of the seminary can get into a discussion on that today, huh? But, uh, so I told my son, Sean, before he went to seminary, I said, it's my firm belief that the center of the great controversy on planet Earth is right there in that seminary building. I'm going to name drop. Is that okay? Will you indulge me? I name drop. Went to, went to seminary with a guy named Dwight Nelson. I don't know if anybody here's heard of Dwight Nelson. But anyway, he's made a name for himself. And a few years ago when I was visiting him at uh, the university church, he was, although he didn't tell me, rumor on the street was that he was considering a move to another institution. And uh, so I spoke to him and I said, Dwight, why would you want to leave the most influential pulpit in Seventh-day Adventism? He stayed. Not because of me, but he's still there, as I think you all know, as the lead pastor at Andrews University Church. So, I mentioned to you yesterday a definition of agape that perhaps was a little different than what you've heard. 
because typically when we say what's agape, which is the topic of my three presentations, did I get up here at eight o'clock, by the way? Is, is that clock right up there? It's tough when you're at eight and you know somebody else is supposed to be at nine. Keeps you, you know, keeps you disciplined. But the fact is, um, we typically think of, of agape as self-sacrificing, self-emptying, unselfish love, right? But I, I mentioned yesterday that another definition that strikes me is other-centeredness. Other-centeredness. And so the Ten Commandments are other-centered. The first four talk about the other one, God, and the last six talk about the other ones, people. Those two are intertwined. They're, they're tied at the hip. God and the other ones. The other ones that you and I intersect with every single day of our lives. Other-centeredness. Someone has said that the cross of Calvary, and I'm paraphrasing here, is the law in full bloom. Now, sometimes we, we downplay, we diminish the law because, oh, he said it's made legalist, it's made legalist. And that's true. A lot of people become legalists because they're trying to keep the law. But notice it said what God would do in that quotation, that he would put the law where? On our inward parts, in our hearts. And so the law without Jesus is nothing more than legalism. And in these closing hours of earth's history, God is trying to produce a people when he can say, yes, the world is in turmoil, but over here, over here, is a group that keeps the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Notice that the text, the first word is here. Here, over here. Yes, the world is in turmoil. There's social unrest. There's political unrest. There's the coronavirus. There's all kinds of problems where people are expressing how much they hate one another. I dip my toe a little bit, all right? I dip my toe. I'm doing it in a very, very cautious and also almost fearful way. prelude to going to Isaiah chapter 63. You heard that story of the student who wanted to tell the rabbi how much he appreciated him. And so he says to his rabbi after class one day, Rabbi, I love you. And the rabbi says, do you know what hurts me? And the young man gushed again, Rabbi, I love you. Do you know what hurts me? A third time, Rabbi, Rabbi, I love you. The rabbi says, 
You say you love me, but you're not interested in knowing what hurts me. I'm not sure what America is listening to what hurts the black community. 400 years of oppression in more ways than one. I believe that the solution to what is taking place today is the 1888 message. That alone can cure this mammoth problem that we are confronted by. Why? Because it's a most precious message that has to do with mercy. Other centeredness. I invite you to open your Bible. Finally, you're probably wondering, is he ever going to open his Bible? To Isaiah chapter 63. you have it say amen probably won't hear anybody at home say amen but for those of you who are here thank you Isaiah chapter 63 I'm going to read verse 9 and it says this in all their affliction whose affliction well it was Israel's affliction right in all their affliction he was afflicted in all your affliction God is afflicted. Amen? You are not alone. God is with you through all of those afflictions that you are confronted by. And it could be in a variety of ways. Everybody's different. Everybody has afflictions. Everybody has these things that they go through that are really tough. But uh, part of character development. But I want you, I want you to think this way. Because remember now, agape is other-centered. And we're told, aren't we, that the cross is a revelation of the pain that God has to our dull senses. What kind of senses? Dull senses. Education, page 263. Of the pain that God has endured ever since the inception of sin. Could we reverse Isaiah 63, 9 to read, God, in all of your affliction, I am afflicted. We talk about all of the troubles in the world. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. We're at the midnight hour. Just a little something of Bill Bracism. As I enjoy history, glad my wife does, my three children do. Some of my grandchildren are enjoying history. I, I, I love it. Love history. I want you to think back to 100 years ago. 20 years before that, 30, 30 years, I guess we might say before that, a great message was sent to Seventh-day Adventism. It was a message of mercy. 
a great message of mercy. And because we drifted away from that message, we, some things happen in the world. World War I. When I was a kid in Canada, in the street behind us, there was a friend of mine, Vicki Fowler, and his grandfather had fought in World War I. And he was probably an old guy at that time in his 50s. <clears throat> um, and, and he had a cot in the living room. And next to that cot, he had a spittoon. And whenever I was in the home visiting with Vicky, there was his grandfather coughing up phlegm into that spittoon. Because he'd been gassed in World War I, as were millions of others. Horrible war. Horrible war. And then what happened as World War I ended? Now, those of you who are good history students, you know what came along. The thing called the Spanish flu. How many Seventh-day Adventists do you think said at that time, Whoa! Jesus is about to come! Wow, we went through this horrible war. And now the Spanish flu. Millions, tens of millions of people died. Oh, Jesus is coming! hundred years ago. And I believe a lot in cause and effect. And so what did, what did culture do after those two horrendous events? Well, the next decade was known as the Roaring Twenties. Self-indulgence to the hilt. Fast forward. Six years of fighting called World War II. And so what happened after World War II? The horrible sin of materialism, which continues to this very day. I don't believe Jesus, the great sign of the return of Jesus, is what is taking place out there. I think the great sign of the return of Jesus is what's happening in here and in here. Jesus is waiting for his bride and somehow methinks, and again I'm probably naive, methinks that what is desperately needed is a revival before Jesus can return so that he can say, you see those people there? that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, that's my bride. That's who I'm traveling zillions of miles to bring home to my father as my bride. But I regret to say I think there's more divisiveness in the bride than can ever allow the return 
of Jesus Christ. But instead of criticizing, what does he do? He sends a most precious message, a message of mercy to change the hearts of those who every week on the right day go to church. Well, I guess in a way that's not happening as it used to, right? Because of the coronavirus. I'm not pausing because I don't know what to say. I'm pausing for effect. You know, preachers need to do that from time to time, you know. People say, come on, come on, come on, say something. Well, God is wanting to produce people who are just, from head to toe, merciful, caring, loving people. So that the church, wherever that church is, is the most loving and lovable church in the whole town. And, and, and wherever, wherever that person who keeps the commandments and the faith of Jesus, wherever that person lives, he or she are known as the most loving and lovable person in the neighborhood. That's the kind of individual this great message is trying to produce. A person who empathizes with God. Who's not just worried about getting to heaven. Oh, Jesus, come so I can get to heaven. The message of Christ our righteousness is not designed simply to relocate people. You know, God tried that once. And guess what? Didn't work. It wasn't God's fault. But he relocated a group of individuals out of Egypt to the promised land. And when he got to the promised land, they were just like the people back in Egypt. So this great message is not... Have you ever played Monopoly? I mean, does anybody here know Monopoly? I mean, they don't... Uh, what do kids know today about Monopoly? They don't, they don't know. Oh, not anything. Oh, sad. The world is coming to an end. Don't know about Monopoly. You know, they got the video games and they can play those for hours and hours and hours. But you remember Monopoly? I, I see some of you are, you know, a little close to my age. All right? So you know Monopoly. And, and there was a card that was get out of jail free. And I think some individuals look at the gospel's purpose in that. That it's, hey, it's to get me into heaven. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is transformational. It's not relocation. It's transformation. And, and, and heaven is just the frosting on the cake, as it were. But, oh, so many Seventh-day Adventists today, more than ever before, oh, the Lord is coming soon. We're going to get to go to heaven. Other-centeredness, your motivation for Jesus' coming is because it gives him his reward, which is his bride. But 
why, why the Ten Commandments? If they're other-centered, they must, must, must be full of mercy. Are you, are you okay with me saying that? Are you with me? Come on, at least somebody go like this. Okay, all right, a couple of you. Thank you very much. You saved my day. So, uh, it, it must be that God wouldn't give people something that wasn't merciful one way or the other. So, when he spoke, when he spoke, he spoke the Ten Commandments before he wrote them down. And he uttered ten words, as it were, words of mercy. Now, if that is true, if that is true, which commandment is the most merciful? I can't, I can't, the people at home, I, I can't hear them. Uh, anybody care to guess? Well, here's your clue as to which commandment is the most merciful. Go to Luke chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. Okay, you're ahead of me. You're ahead of moi. But you know this because you're, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. I'm reading from the New King James. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What is that? It's an announcement that his ministry was a ministry of what? A ministry of mercy. A ministry of mercy. It is not a coincidence. Jesus didn't suddenly say, well, you know what? Um, on the Sabbath, uh, I'm going to go to the synagogue today, and I, I think I'll read from the book of Isaiah. No, no, no. That was all planned. That he would make the announcement of his ministry of mercy on the Sabbath day the most merciful commandment of the ten. So what is the Sabbath day? Is it just you're making sure you get to church or that you keep holy the right day of the week? Or is that commandment designed to help you be the most merciful person in the world? There is power in that commandment. There is life in that commandment. I'll talk more about that tomorrow. But I want you to go now, my final, my final thought. Don't ever trust a preacher when he says that, by the way. Don't ever trust a preacher when he says that. But here is, I think, my final thought. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 58.
You have it, say amen. amen. Beginning in verse 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a what? A delight. Do you call the Sabbath a delight? Oh, I wish the whole world knew the Sabbath, don't you? Oh, man, it's just a fantastic, it's a delight. You look forward to it. Every, every Saturday at sunset, you're already, right? You're already looking forward to the next Sabbath day. The holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you, where your delight is, is in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I spent a few weeks climbing mountains in a 32-foot RV recently. And I'm not sure I like to ride on the high hills because I hate hairpin turns. And when you get to seven, eight, nine thousand feet and you the side of the road, you know, there's a big, big hole there of, you know, three or four thousand feet. You're leaning, you're leaning in the vehicle away from that. And I facetiously tell people now that when I, who was driving most of that time, came to the hairpin turns, I closed my eyes because I was so worried, I guess. But uh, the high places. It's interesting. It's interesting for my presentation this morning that that reference to the Sabbath is preceded by this. Beginning in verse 6. Follow along with me. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free that, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, Oh boy, oh boy, is that going on prolifically today everywhere. The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drug and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Never trust a preacher either who closes his Bible as if he's all done. But I'm just about all done. Interesting, isn't it, that the Sabbath in Isaiah chapter 58 is in the context of mercy. So the message of Christ our righteousness is to be manifested in the lives of individuals such as you and me that has as its objective to make us loving and lovable 
persons. We cannot do it, but a message of Christ can fill the heart so that just naturally, just naturally, we are that kind of person. By the way, I will mention tomorrow morning the great temptation of sin to Seventh-day Adventism is the sin of omission and not commission. But what a wonderful God. Wonder, O heavens, and be astonished, O earth, that God, what God has designed for his people is just mind-boggling. How much he wants to transform us into his likeness, into his image, so that when he comes for his bride, his bride has his mind. that his bride is transformed from having an egocentric faith, one of the great shortcomings today, into an altruistic faith, one who can empathize fully and completely with her other one, Jesus Christ. By God's grace, may it be our aspiration to hasten that day for his sake. Heavenly Father, you've just been too good to us. And thank you even though you say, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, you never quit on us. Thank you that Despite our flaws and shortcomings, you see us not only for what we are, but what we can become by a message of mercy. And Lord, may it be our desire to, and our aspiration to let you do, to will and to do in us what you've wanted to have done for thousands of years. May we allow that to happen May we cooperate with you so that we may help you to receive your reward at the end of this great controversy. Thank you. Thank you so much for having faith in us. In Jesus' name, amen.